is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Dwayne Davis, Chief Physician Executive for the Institutes of Advent Health Central Florida Division. Dr. Davis, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm pleased to be on. Before we dive into the questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? I'd be happy to. Um, So I'm a cardiac surgeon by training. Um, I am somewhat new to Advent Health. I came about five years ago. Actually, it's almost six years. Spent um, a little over three decades at Duke um, in my residency and um, then was on faculty um, in heart surgery, uh, was over the transplant programs before coming down to Advent Health and initially over the Cardiovascular Institute and now um, having responsibilities over our five major institutes um, for what we call the Central Florida Division, or um, the Central and Northeast segments of Florida. Got it. So I, I know in your current role, you're overseeing, like you mentioned, several institutes of uh, you know different service lines. What is it like to you know oversee so many different specialists and division, or excuse me, institutes within the larger uh, health system? Well, I I guess I look at it from a perspective of we're responsible for trying to deliver health care to a very large community. Um, We serve between five and eight million lives. Um, And the role of the institutes is to absolutely increase the quality of the health care and increase the wellness of the populations we serve. So yes, um, there are a large number of specialists, how we create more of an interconnected team, how we interdigitate with um, our primary care providers um, and provide kind of a seamless care journey for individuals um, is our responsibility. Got it. Well, I'm wondering, you know, given your background, especially um, in heart care, what do you see as being the three biggest issues in cardiology and heart surgery today? Well, it's interesting that we say, you know, what's the three biggest issues within, um, I'll say, cardiovascular care. And a lot of it is related to the fact that we are still in the midst of a pandemic and we don't really know what COVID is going to look like going forward. Um, And when I say that, COVID has had a tremendous impact, I think, in all of the healthcare um, delivery systems from a standpoint of the burnout of the individuals who have been participating in the care, um, the tremendous changes in our our workforce, Um, nurses who have left Um, for other alternatives, whether that is in agencies or other communities that were in desperate need, as well as our critical care folks. And the reason I bring all that up is that even when we talk about our quaternary um, services within transplant and um, mechanical circulatory support, uh, one of the biggest impacts that we've had is on our temporary um, mechanical circulatory support or ECMO. Um, the needs for taking care of the community or taking care of the state of Florida even um, has far outstripped our ability to do that. We've grown our capacity tremendously and we still haven't been able to meet the need. 
And I honestly don't know what the next um, iteration of COVID is going to look like. And some of this gets into what are the long-term impacts of COVID in terms of both lung and heart um, disease care. And I don't think anyone that says that they know that um, has a crystal ball. I'd love to have that as a, um, a way of being able to develop our care delivery for the future. But those are things that we need to um, absolutely understand and be able to develop um, what our health system should look like. Got it. So really looking at you know what how COVID will evolve and what patients will need um, in the future, and then making sure our health system is able to deliver that obviously is really important. Do you see heart care evolving much over the next eighteen months, or even you know looking three to five years into the future? I would say yes. A lot of it is iterative. It is connecting the dots um, of um, creating better access, of being able to be truly consumer-centric. Um, and I even say that from a uh, perspective of we in cardiovascular medicine have um, become addicted to appropriate modeling of um, what happens to individuals who have uh, MIs, STEMIs, or undergo a variety of procedures. And we look at living and dying, and we look at readmissions, and we look at a lot of things. But the reality is we don't really look at the outcomes from a consumer-centric um, approach. So if they have X therapy for a disease state, how do they feel um, six months, a year, 18 months after? Um, what is their quality of life? Are they able to return to doing the things that they value most. And that's an interesting pivot on what we have classically um, looked, like, looked at within the cardiovascular community. Um, so those are going to be important. I would also say that I'm, I'm, uh, we will probably be able to apply um, therapies more broadly for those people who have cardiovascular disease and be more effective in the delivery of that care. Um, that won't be as revolutionary as a lot of things that have happened, I'd say, in the last you know, two decades, but I, I do think that they will have an impact in the populations that we provide care for. Got it. That's a really great point. Uh, what are you most excited about today, and what makes you nervous? Um, I think the things that make me excited are the tremendous um, opportunities to be able to use um, AI and other um, technologies or platforms to intersect with the care of the um, individuals that we serve. I mean, think about what our watches do, what the wearables um, are capable of, how we would be able to take the tremendous volume of information um, that could be generated from that and actually truly have learnings that could be applied in the preventive space, um, in the chronic disease management space, and then in the wellness space. Um, I think a lot of us are you know, starting down those roads, 
But I'm really curious to see what it will look like, as you said, in the 18 months and the three and five year time frames. I think there will be tremendous um, learnings and innovations that come across that come um, from that that can be applied very broadly. The other areas I'm not sure that I'm going to see um, as much progress as I would like to see are. Um, say inroads in, in terms of the uh, impacts that uh, lower socioeconomic status has had on you know, the outcomes from COVID, from cardiovascular disease, et cetera. How do we actually truly start impacting the social determinants of health that really will make a greater impact into the global well-being of our communities and the populations that we serve? Uh, I, I, those will be areas that are more societal-based, but while, while we are in the health system, we need to be leading into that um, and leaning into it to actually make a difference in the communities. Absolutely. I, you know, I think it's really interesting to think about um, how you know, as you mentioned, the social determinants of health can really have a big impact on the type of health care that's being consumed and delivered and, you know, the eventual outcomes. I'm wondering, from your vantage point, is there anything right now that you're doing at Avent Health, um, you know, to, to really bridge that gap or any upcoming initiatives that um, address some of those issues? Um, well, we have a lot of partnerships that um, occur within the communities to leverage um, what is already ongoing. We are able to uh, provide both um, additional monetary resources as well as, I'll say, human resources to be able to expand those missions. Um, and you know, things that um, reduce food insecurity to reduce you know, the lack of appropriate housing. Um, as a health system, we can't do it in as an isolation, but we can create synergistic impacts by really partnering with those in, um, entities that are really working on it. And that is something that we found to be highly beneficial. And, you know, it really returns a value to the community um, and the communities we serve. Got it. That's really interesting to hear. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I was wondering if you could share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today. I think probably the most important um, thing I will say for a physician leader is to um, develop your uh, empathy, um, to really truly learn to listen um, to the various, uh, it, you brought up the aspect of having a lot of specialists. Um, one of the things that I found to be most valuable is to truly be interested in the perspective of all the different stakeholders. Um, and by understanding what is important to them, what their um, uncertainty is, what their anxiety is, what their fears are, and being able to be empathetic and compassionate um, allows you to, one, develop a much better team, and um, secondly, be able to really build cultures and true um, changes 
that matter and are durable. You also are growing your future physician leaders by doing that. And I would also say that as a physician leader, it's not about yourself. It's always about facilitating others' growth and others' ability to actually deliver on the missions values um, that you hold um, dear. And I guess the, the third one was you always have to have a true north. And as long as you're kind of working towards that, you'll be okay. Better to be on the side of the angels. Absolutely. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. All right. Thank you very much.